This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. I am pleased to note at the onset of today's program that this, in fact, marks our 700th Radio Parallax program. But please, do not in any way confuse us with the 700 Club. Most of our programs are available on our website, radioparallax.com. We're missing a few from the early days, but we do have the data out there, and at some point in the not-too-distant future, we believe we will have pretty much every show we ever recorded available for your listening pleasure. We're delighted to note that in our second segment today, we'll be joined by James Randi, conjurer, escape man, debunker, extraordinaire. James Radney is in every respect a worthy successor to the illustrious Harry Houdini, and we're pleased to be able to help him in our own small way with the wonderful work he does debunking charlatans. That in our second segment today. I apologize for the bit of frog I have in my voice. I don't know whether this is some random virus or due to mold allergies. Here in California, we are finally getting some cool weather and, uh, even more importantly, some wet weather to go with it. As you've no doubt heard by now, California has been in the midst of its longest, nastiest drought in something like the last 12 centuries over the past several years. We have every hope that the El Nino conditions in the Pacific will produce a much wetter winter because, frankly, we need every bit of snow and rain we can get. Being that water is one of our favorite topics, we'll have something more to say about that before the hour's up. We also want to thank all of you who pledged on last week's first fall fund drive here at the station. We did raise $28,000, falling a bit short of our goal of $35,000, but there's nothing that says you can't still contribute, dear listener, and we hope you will do so to see if we can't get us the funds we need to continue for the next year. Now, I know that a lot of you tried to call in and uh, were thwarted by the fact that our phone lines were swamped. We, uh, we obviously needed to be a little bit better organized and have more phones available and more people manning them. This was not a problem confined to our hour, but we'll certainly do what we can for the spring fund drive. And we have every hope that in the future KDVS will forge a relationship with local sponsors more than they have done up till now. We're pretty confident there are a lot of people out there in the business world and private individuals that would like to support this station. And in the weeks and months to come, we hope also that our core staff will be able to get some proposals together to go forward on that plan. Stay tuned. Let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question today is the 19th of November. We would note that it was on November 19th in the year 1850 that the first U.S. patent for magic lantern slides made of glass plates got issued to inventor Frederick Langenheim. Now, the glass plates were later supplanted by transparent film, and is one of the saddest aspects, I think, of the modern era that the film transparency has gone by the boards. Because I can tell you, no matter how good a screen you think you have, To monitor photographs, there's nothing that compares with a projected image through a transparency. On this date in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln delivered one of the most famous speeches in American history, done at the dedication of the military cemetery at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Using just 272 words, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address 
brilliantly and movingly articulated the meaning of the conflict for a war-weary public. On this date, November 19, 1942, Soviet General Yorgi Zhukov launched an Operation Uranus, the great World War II counteroffensive that turned the tide against the Germans and the thousands of Romanians, Hungarians, and Italian troops in the Battle of Stalingrad. No matter what you've been led to believe, most of World War II took place on the Eastern Front in Europe. And on a happier note, it was on November 19, 1969, that U.S. astronauts Charles Conrad and Alan Bean of Apollo 12 made the second landing on the moon. Unfortunately, in panning his camera, Alan Bean fried the electronics, denying viewers at home a live feed of cavorting on the lunar surface. That, in conjunction with the near disaster of Apollo 13 that followed, took quite a bit of the wind out of the sails out of the Apollo program, which unfortunately led to Dick Nixon canceling the final two scheduled Apollo landings. Nice. Thanks, Dick. And Mr. Millen asks how many men actually walked on the lunar surface. The answer to that is 12. Our quote of the day comes from Indira Gandhi, who once said, People tend to forget their duties, but remember their rights. For our quip of the day, we have this from former New Jersey governor and former Radio Parallax guest, Christine Todd Whitman. Said Governor Whitman, anyone who thinks that they are too small to make a difference has never tried to fall asleep with a mosquito in the room. For our joke of the day, we have this from America's foremost political comic, Will Durst. And I'm actually, in this case, quoting from the Sacramento Bee, which had the wisdom to extract this off of Will's website. Said Mr. Durst, HP is cutting 30,000 jobs again. That's how bad a CEO Carly Fiorina was. Ten years later... They're still forced to lay people off. And speaking of GOP nut jobs, our anecdote of the day concerns brain surgeon and crackpot Ben Carson, who apparently said in a recent debate, I didn't have any involvement with Manatech, described by the Washington Post as a shady supplements company. As it turns out that Carson made four paid speeches to the company's sales staff, publicly claimed that the supplements helped him beat prostate cancer, and made several videos that Manitech has used to promote their product. Apparently in this week's The Week magazine, they posed the question of whether Ben Carson was being treated unfairly, at least in the vetting of his life story. Well, we have to run with this a little bit, because not only did he make this statement about Manitech, he's rather more famously stated that he'd been an angry, violent teen until he was saved by religion. However, CNN went out to interview nine of his childhood friends, and nobody remembered him that way or could corroborate the story that he tried to stab a friend. This does put him in an unusual position for a presidential candidate having to insist, no, 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 when I was a kid, I was bad and did try to stab a guy. Really, honest. We do at least have some good news in presidential races. It's a shame it has to be in Burma, or as they're calling it today, Myanmar. Turns out that Aung San Suu Kyi's political party swept the elections in a landslide last week. Although the military has cut a deal to retain a quarter of the seats in their Congress, Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy will take most of the rest. Now, by the way, she can't become president of Burma because a clause was written in the Constitution to bar her, saying that no one whose spouse or children are foreigners can hold the office. It's a beautiful country. It certainly deserves a better government than what it has had for quite a while, and we, we wish them the best. Our stat of the day is that the civil war in Syria has uprooted 49% of the country's population. 
If the same thing happened in the U.S., that would be about 158 million people, which is the equivalent of every man, woman, and child in 29 states, according to CNN.com. And speaking of Syria, it seems that the recent attack in Paris is being blamed on uh, members of ISIS from Syria who snuck into the country. At least that's what we're hearing at the present time. And while we're certainly saddened by that tragedy, we do note, as we've noted before in this program, that the rise of Islamic fundamentalism in Syria and Iraq can be traced back to United States' involvement in both countries. Had we not attacked Iraq back in 2003, there would not be a coalition of former Ba'athists and Islamic fundamentalists operating in Iraq, who then saw an opportunity in neighboring Syria to go in there and set up a base for their operations. Syria, of course, has been destabilized by United States' efforts to bring down Bashar Assad. Had the United States not meddled in Iraq and Syria, we would not have seen this terrible tragedy in Paris, I think it's fair to say. And yet, it seems likely we will continue to blunder like a bull in a china shop when it comes to Middle Eastern politics. Although I don't want to go off on this topic at too great a length today because we could certainly eat up a whole show and should eat up a whole show if we want to do it properly. But I think we'll just give an attaboy to the editorial board at the Sacramento Bee for their piece noting Obama is right to resist the warmongers. The editorial board agreed that the president is right, noting it would be a mistake to send tens of thousands of U.S. troops to root out militants in Syria. Here, here. We'd like to quote from a letter to the editor from Jim. I wish Jim would have sent this to us, but he sent it to the B, and we're going to use it. He said, the call for more boots on the ground are growing louder. More violence will stop the violence, it is declared. But Pentagon studies have found that foreign military occupation is the primary cause of terrorism. Foreign Policy magazine reported similar findings from a University of Chicago project on security and terrorism. It analyzed more than 2,200 suicide attacks across the world from 1980 to the present day, and found that more than 95% of these violent acts are in response to, quote, foreign occupation, unquote. Since I went so far as to quote that one, I think I'll do another. This came from Samira, who wrote the paper to say that our foreign policy and that of our allies have created an out-of-control savage monster. We invaded countries and muddled their internal affairs. We bombed and tortured their innocent civilians and robbed them of their peaceful existence and replaced that with living in fear. When will we learn that the citizens of the world have the same desire to live peacefully? We do note that over in France, there are calls now to uh, give the government more powers to fight potential terrorism. But I think you do have to question how much good that's going to do when we already have what's thought to be some pretty good surveillance techniques that failed us completely. It's been reported that the French police have been raiding homes and other sites across the country in an effort to head off possible further attacks. One wonders how much good that will do. We hope some. If they're going to do it, we hope it does some good. But I think at this point we need to shift gears and instead go with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Week magazine. It was a good week last week for getting the romance right eventually. It was noted that Justin Pounders and Amy Giberson clicked immediately after they met online. But it wasn't until the Florida couple had been dating for a year that they realized they'd been sweethearts 30 years earlier. 
Pounders mentioned that he had a crush on a girl named Amy at Sunshine Preschool in St. Petersburg, which was the same school Giberson attended. His mom then confirmed that they'd been inseparable as three-year-olds. Said Giberson, you're lucky if you get to find a great love, to find out that you've been circling each other your whole life. It overwhelms me with happiness. You know, that relationship just has to work out for all of our sakes. You know what I mean? It was, on the other hand, a bad week for social media last week after a study from the Denmark Happiness Research Institute. (laughs) Yes, don't you wish you could work for the Denmark Happiness Research Institute? Discovered that people who gave up Facebook for just one week reported suffering less envy and being more satisfied with their lives than those who continued using that social media site. Well, there you go. Try having relationships in the real world, people. And it was frankly an ugly week last week for military secrecy, with the news that a mysterious streak of blazing light flashing over the skies of California, well, turned out to be not a meteor or nuclear attack, but actually uh, the launch of some Navy missiles that they were thinking wouldn't burn so brightly in the skies. Yes, and I recommend you go on the web and look up pictures of this blue and white streaking light, which looks like Halley's Comet on steroids, and was seen as far away as Nevada and Arizona. And ask yourself, why it is the Navy thought they were going to keep this secret? And from the Only in America file, we have this. Why does it always seem to focus on schools? But here we go. An Ohio first grader was suspended for pretending to fire an imaginary bow and arrow during recess. Apparently, Malachi Mieli, age six, was sent home for violating Our Lady of Lourdes' zero-tolerance policy of any real, pretend, or imitated violence. The boy's father questioned why the school is, quote, unable to distinguish between a credible threat and a six-year-old boy pretending to be a Power Ranger, unquote. We at Radio Parallax think that's a fair question. We have fired many, an imaginary bow and arrow without causing any harm to anyone. And we're not sure how to file the next item, but we're going we're gonna to hit it anyway. It turns out that after the 9-11 attacks, Molly Smith, 38-year-old police officer, led over 100 people out of the World Trade Center as she and 22 of her fellow officers died in the collapse of the buildings. The following month... Back in 2001, Smith was named one of Glamour Magazine's Women of the Year. That distinction was retroactively declined last week by Smith's husband. In an open letter to the magazine's editor-in-chief, James Smith said he'll be returning his late wife's posthumous award because of Glamour's recent decision to grant Caitlyn Jenner the same honor. Smith wrote, I was shocked and saddened to learn that Glamour had just named Bruce Jenner Woman of the Year. Was there no woman in America or the rest of the world more deserving than this man? We can think of no rejoinder to that right now. So we're going to let it stand. We do want to say something else about political correctness and uh, the growing intolerance seen upon America's university and college campuses. Writing in the Atlantic.com, Connor Friedersdorf notes that Yale University students are behaving like bullies even as they see themselves as victims. Story is, a member of the faculty recently sent out a very respectful, even deferential email to students on the now-controversial topic of Halloween costumes, which apparently often spark accusations of racism or cultural appropriation. 
quote unquote. The faculty member, Erica Christakis, told students she was not going to impose any costume standards on them and that as young adults, they should work out among themselves how to, quote, avoid offense, unquote, while not overreacting. A group of students then reacted with outrage, shouting and cursing at Christakis and her professor husband and demanding that they resign their role overseeing student life at a college residence. One enraged student shouted, it was not their job to create, quote, an intellectual space, unquote, but to create a safe, quote, home, unquote, free of anything that would offend her. Students who disagreed with that were later spit upon. Noted Connor Friedersdorf, the illiberal intolerance on display here is deeply troubling, and we have to agree, it is. We think it might be reasonable to try to create a home free of anything that might offend a kindergartner, but by the time you're a university student, it should be a different ball game. It's a tough world out there, as these students are going to find out when they leave their little Shangri-La of university environment. And now let's see if we can't hear from America's foremost political comic. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about immigration, which has become a key Republican issue. Yes, again. It's what those in the garden industry call a perennial. As predictable as fruit flies on the dumpster behind a produce store. Every election cycle, the GOP sucks up to its base of underemployed, low-information voters by blaming somebody else for their woes. Donald Trump dominated the early rounds of this competition by vowing to deport all 11 million undocumented residents of this country, which, according to immigration officials, at a rate of 400,000 a year, would take 27 and a half years, just in time for Mila Kunis's 60th birthday. This is in addition to his wall, which he promises will be tremendous. Although exactly how the man plans to build a 30-foot-high, 1,952-mile-long wall on the Mexican border without using Mexican labor remains a mystery. What's the plan here? Draft housewives from El Paso? Marilyn, hand me that masonry trowel, would you? Makes you think that Trump's catchphrase, make America great again, might be shorthand for make America white again. But the big dispute right now is between those two rabid feral goat senators, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, who have attacked each other over past, present, and future statements, each claiming the other is soft on illegals. That's right, the sons of Cuban immigrants are arguing over who's more anti-immigrant. You can't make stuff up like this. In the Republican version of West Side Story, the sharks rumble with the sharks. And the race for the nomination might just come down to which of these two 44-year-old anchor babies is able to best convince the American people that they can get back all those fruit-picking jobs we've dreamed of all our lives. Working outdoors, sleeping on the ground, just like camping, only different. <laughs> for Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. It is a privilege to bring you Mr. Will Durst on a weekly basis, ladies and gentlemen. Especially as in the wake of what he just said, I'm looking down at my left hand, and here's an article from The Bee with the headline, Sheriff Makes Immigration Top Issue in Campaign. 
Yes, evidently Sacramento Sheriff Scott Jones is going to try to run for Congress against Ami Berra, and his top issue is immigration. I did like the fact that the Bee reported that Jones did not present any specific immigration proposals. We do want to note, though, to his credit, he did dismiss as untenable the idea of deporting the country's more than 11 million undocumented immigrants, which certainly makes Sheriff Jones uh, smarter than Donald Trump. And I think we'll close uh, our segment today with an item that, well, it made me think of Donald Trump, even though it's about howler monkeys. Apparently, researchers at the University of Cambridge analyzed a comparison between the size of the hyoid bone, which is important to speech, and the size of the testicles in different monkey species. And wouldn't you know it, it turns out that the howlers, famed for their deep, powerful roars, which are among the loudest in the animal kingdom, in fact, have some of the smaller testicles. And while we can cite no evidence as to regards the testicular fortitude of Mr. Trump, we suspect that given what a howler monkey he's turned out to be, he's probably deficient in some other departments. At least that's our guess. By the way, that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDBS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. Let's take a short break and come back and talk about someone we have uh, been keen to speak to for many years. He's been on our short list of guests of the people we would love to have. And it turns out today we will, in fact, have the amazing James Randi here with us in segment two. You don't want to miss this. Stick around. I'm a pretty big- 